Hey guys, welcome back to Medical Warrior Podcast. It's me, Natalie, and I'm here with my friend slash caretaker, Joe. How's everybody doing? Thanks for tuning in. It's been about a week since we released that intro, and today we're going to kind of walk through the process that Natalie went through at birth. Go ahead and tell us a little bit about that whole, what what you have for notes anyway. Obviously, you're not going to remember this stuff, but... Right. Yeah. So, when I was born, I weighed 6 pounds, 10 ounces, 19 inches long. One month after birth, I went to the hospital for crying for 24 hours straight. I was then admitted. Uh, my birth weight still was not reached. They thought it was a possible infection, but not quite sure. So, you went... Like, literally one month after you were born, you were back in the hospital for different reasons, and you still hadn't reached your birth weight. Right. So, obviously, when you're born, you have a certain weight, which yours happened to be 6 pounds, 10 and a half ounces, which is pretty normal. Yeah. Yeah. And you're, I like to call you somewhat of a midget now, because you are... Haven't really grown that much. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, uh, with that given said, even the 19 and a half inches was, was not midget size. So, yeah, so you're back in the hospital because, you you know, normally babies lose that weight initially and they should be regaining it back and you did not. Right. And uh, you said you were crying for like 24 hours and your parents didn't know what to do. Right. Wow. So you were then brought to the hospital. Yes. Four days later, I had a grand mal seizure, which lasted about 30 minutes, which also led to blood work, which the blood work led to sodium that was extremely low. And they started looking at the bladder and the kidneys, and they found out that I had a deformed kidney at that time. Wow. So a grand mal seizure, and that lasted 30 minutes? Yes. Wow. So obviously, at that point, they knew something was wrong. That's basically sent them into looking into what could possibly be wrong, and they started with blood work. Yes. And that revealed the sodium level was extremely low. Yes. Wow. And after that, a day later, I was transferred to Children's Hospital, which I remained there for four months. From there, they, sur- they surgically created a port from the bladder to externally drain urine. And that was done to, to prevent the urinary tract infections in the kidney. So it was protecting your kidney. Yes. Wow. So your first, you could almost say five months. Yeah of life were pretty much spent in a hospital. Yeah. Wow. I mean, imagine that. What, I, what, like your parents, they had to have been like full stress. Now, are you, you have a sibling, right? Yes. And he's younger, older than you? He's older than I am. Okay. So not only did they have another kid to take care of, but now they were tied up at the hospital. Right. And they had him to take care of and then me. For four months. Yeah. Okay. So then in October of 1984, they had to place a feeding tube in, which then I had a cranialectomy, which is the removal of the skull portion because it relieves the pressure. So my skull wasn't closing up the soft spots like it should have been. Wow. So this is all like within literally a year. Yes. So four, four months in the hospital plus this. Yeah. Wow. Okay. That's a lot. That's a lot. Yeah. And it's almost a good thing you don't remember that. Yeah. So then February 84, I had a vesicostomy, which 
close the cranialectomy and reverse the portion of the skull and it was replaced. Okay, and today you can actually see where they actually did that procedure if you look closely. Yes. Yeah. You can actually feel it, I guess. I mean, I'm looking at it right now and yeah, it's, you the can see The scars are pretty prominent. You can see them even when I have my hair in a ponytail. Yes, right. you can see them. So then January of 86, I had my first transplant. Um, I also had a Broviac removed, a long-term port for access to blood. So it's better than an IV so they can get the blood and the blood work out better. And at this time, you're three years old. Yes. And already on your first transplant. Yes. And the first transplant didn't work. It was too big and it kinked. And within the first week, it just stopped working. So then I was put on PD dialysis, which is peritoneal dialysis, which goes through the belly. And we did that at home. And when I think about that, I think because back then it's a little different than now, but our house was stacked floor to ceiling with boxes of medical stuff for PD dialysis. I don't think there was anything in there that didn't have any kind of box for medical so, supplies. So pretty much floor to ceiling with boxes and supplies. Mm -hmm. And did you, I mean, I know you don't remember this, but your parents ever talk about how sterile they had to keep things and yes everything always had to be sterile everything from my dialysis machine to the tubing to the pd catheter to how i was sleeping um, my mom always had to place me on my side to make sure that the catheter wasn't going to come ajar. nowadays it's a little bit different but yeah. back then it, it had to be really tough on them because they really had to pay attention to that and one thing that I wanted to add is that they also had to take I think a week of classes to do PD for me like a it, whole week like at the hospital yeah they had to go to the hospital every single day and do PD catheters and in training so hands-on training and yeah. then a little bit of book work and yep and yeah. then they would have a nurse come out and help them nowadays you go to training for a couple of days a week for PD dialysis and then they send all these supplies to your house and they have a nurse that comes out and helps you for about two weeks to ensure that you know what you are doing. So your parents didn't have any of that. It was like class for a week and here you go. Good luck. Yeah. And with a brother to take care of. Right. Wow. And of course I was in and out of the hospital so it's not like at any given time there wasn't anybody there but well, yeah, I mean, they just don't put you on dialysis at three years old and say, we'll see you in a year. Right, yeah. right. There's all kinds of blood work and constant checkups. Absolutely. Yeah. So moving forward from your transplant. So then February of 87, I had a nephrectomy of my native kidneys and some bladder reconstruction. They surgically removed both kidneys and then they surgically removed my transplanted kidney that did not work so they they took out the kidney and the one had not it didn't take because it was too large you said so if right the actual kidney folded so it actually was in there for a while but when i got my second transplant is when they took that one out so then i after the second transplant then I had that one kidney, which lasted 23 years. 23 years. That's a long yes. time for a kidney. 
Yes, I had a very diligent mom and dad and stepdad that always made sure I had my pills with me. If I was at school, I always had to make sure that I had them with me. And that that's a huge part, and I think a lot of people underestimate that. Yeah. Because without that care, especially when you're taking care of a, a, an infant, I mean, you're, you're a toddler at that point, but it started right from birth. Yeah. It's quite, quite a, a stressful process. Absolutely. So then after they figured out that that kidney that they had transplanted was not going to work, uh, you had obviously with it folding like that, Mm -hmm. um, they waited to remove that kidney. Correct me if I'm wrong. They waited, and then once you had the second transplant, they removed that one and just did all at once. Yes. Yeah, And I can imagine they just wanted to save you from more surgeries. Right. Yeah. Exactly. But that that physical stress of going through at that young age and and whatnot, I'm sure there was like a lot of risk to that. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I get stressed about going through this stuff now, so I can't imagine what it would be like back then for me as well as my parents. Yeah, so you get in May, you said it was the second transplant. Yes. Okay. Okay. So that one lasted 23 years. Yes. So as a child, and I, I'm really curious about this, and I, I know a little bit because obviously we know each other uh, quite well. Right. But what were some of the things you had to deal with as a child? Um, you had mentioned in the f- introduction to your podcast, you you mentioned that, you you know, self-cathings, things like that. And we know kids can be really, really harsh. Oh, uh, yeah. It's... Uh, almost expected but why don't you kind of like tell us how your life was as 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 far as you can remember growing up like up until about probably junior high growing up uh, my parents wanted me to have the most normal life yes I had to take medicine every single day morning and night yes I had to self-cath intermittently and I was very stubborn about it you get to an age where you know, you go to sleepovers and a catheter falls out and somebody says something. And then eventually it just happens all the time and you get very tired of it and you, you get angry that people say stuff. So I didn't want to do it anymore. But in the long run, that put me back in the hospital. But as far as being normal as I can, uh, my mom put me in dance by the age of three. So I danced from three years old all the way up until college. Wow, so that was, you were dancing with uh, right after your surgery then? Yeah, after anything, I even if the doctors didn't want me to, I still did. And I think that kind of leads into today how you just like, it amazes me how you just go through these surgeries and boom, right back up. And Yeah. Yeah, so I'm sure that played a huge role because when you have surgery and you kind of mope around and I mean, positive attitude is everything. Oh, absolutely. So growing up and being teased and whatnot and... It's horrible, but you made it through it. Mm-hmm. One of those things where you go through school and it kind of built your character when yeah. you're being teased, but yet you know you have to do these things to survive. Exactly. So in, in reality, you were much further ahead than they were because they could not comprehend it. Right. So moving on to high school, how was it then? Um, high school was okay. Um, I was kind of alone and by myself most of the time I tried to keep up with friends but it just wasn't there um not many p- 
people liked me. So would they think you were like weird because you had like medical issues or is it just yeah 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 but I had to do what I had to do in order to survive and you know being on the dance team helped me to get away from all that and escape all that and make me feel normal and mm -hmm. oh, absolutely yeah so you went through high school and then obviously you went you started working and, mm -hmm. and the typical things that people do after high school yeah uh you do have your associate's degree i do so you made that you did made that happen yep that's in medical office administration imagine that i know something to do with the medical field <laughs> right <laughs> yep. no it's quite awesome because uh you have a lot more knowledge than the average person by far yeah yeah yeah, so you come along 23 years with the kidney, which is, like, spectacular in itself. Yeah. And I, I think what the average is, like, 10 to 15 years. Yeah. Yeah. So you almost, like, you could say you doubled that. Yeah, I did. Yeah, and you don't do that by not following through with what the doctors recommend. Right, yeah. but also keep in mind, you know, if I didn't take my pills in the morning... I had one of my parents at that school in my classroom with my with the pills pill. in their hand. Like, Saying, Natalie? Get, get out here right now. Yeah. So it wasn't just following the doctors. It was my parents made sure that... Those orders were filed. Yes. Yeah. And that's absolutely. that's quite a quite a burden as a parent. I mean, stressful. Cause, it's very stressful, yes. Yeah, I'm sure they had jobs and whatnot. And, you know, you got to make ends meet as well. And they were worried about me, and I was more concerned about school and the stuff that we had to do for school. Or like dance class. Yes, like competitions. <laughs> yes, that was very stressful. So typical kid. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And we all know kids will, I mean, you can get them to be as responsible as they can be, but they're going to forget, and right. just as you did. Yeah. Yeah. So that's uh, 23 years on that kidney, and that brings us to roughly what year? Thousand. Five or six. Five or six. When that one failed. Okay, so now we're in 2005, we'll call it 2006. Mm -hmm. And how did you, like, notice that the kidney was giving you problems? Like, it wasn't functioning the way it should be or was? The problem is I'm asymptomatic. I don't get symptoms. And that's very difficult when your kidney is failing because if you're not getting any symptoms, your blood work will tell you. So it was all in the blood work and not in any kind of symptom that I had. So you just don't like feel the normal, you know, things that people would say, okay, this might be a red flag. I might have to go get checked out or. Unfortunately, no. There's been times when I've had kidney infections and didn't realize it because I didn't have any pain. I didn't feel anything. There are wow. times when. <laughs> I had a kidney or a bladder infection, but keeled to the floor because at that time I felt the pain. So it was kind of on and off. So they figured this out through normal blood work. Yes. Okay, so walk us through how long did it take from that point that they realized, okay, this is not working after 23 years, which, mm -hmm. again, is spectacular in itself. So how... What was the process like though? They get you, they just list you? What happened was, is I was going to a certain hospital and because I did blood work and they did not cover my insurance, I had to transfer back to another hospital where they do take my insurance or they did at that time. And from that time on, 
it took about one year to the date. Um, to I had to get my fistula in October of 2006, and two weeks later, I ended up in the hospital with pneumonia, and right then and there was when I had to do emergency dialysis. So for those of you that don't know, we're going to have Natalie explain what a fistula is, because honestly, I had no clue until I started taking over her medical care. So a fistula is when they go into your arm and they cut the artery in the vein and they put like a little tubing in and that just helps your dialysis treatment and the blood flow more. So it's basically splicing a small vein to a large artery. Yes. Okay. So it's a direct line is what it is. Uh, You'll see people that have the the chest ports in, which is called a central line. Yeah. Um, You have that currently. Yeah. And that's probably a little easier because i don't think you get stuck with a needle (laughs) yeah the chest line is a lot easier because you don't get stuck with the needle and they can draw blood at dialysis and they can just connect you and then take you off when it's time when you have your fistula it's more you have to have two roughly 16 gauge needles in your arm Um, you have to make sure that your fistula is running so when you see somebody with a fistula they always have like a thrill to it mm-hmm. like it kind of sounds weird you've seen it you've heard you, it right? yes i've heard it it's definitely okay. uh very interesting to say the least yeah yeah and um, it's funny how they all come in and they when you had this one put in and they'd come in and put their stethoscope on it and be like yep that one's really that's working hard yeah, I like oh, that yeah. I, every single doctor and nurse that came in and felt this fistula was like wow that's a really good one and are you using it yet and i'm like nope we're waiting for it to heal yeah and that's that's whole that whole process while you were waiting for that kidney they put the fistula in you started dialysis and this time you didn't do it at home nope i i did what's called hemodialysis which you go to an in center and they hook you on and off for you yeah, and back then, I don't think they were as common as they are now. Right. I mean, just in our small town, I think there's at least two. Yep. So you get put on the list. You're in. You're doing a dialysis. Mm-hmm. And how long did it take for you to get that call? It took two years to get that call. So what's the process? I mean, we, we see it in TV a lot, and I think it's kind of hard to comprehend what that means to a person when they get that call or what that means to a parent when they get the call walk us through like kind of how how i guess you'd be excited and and so how that day went yeah yeah tell us all about that um that day i remember my mom came into my bedroom and told me she was going to work but she was going to be in a meeting that day so if i need to get a hold of her call dad paul just in case something happened. And I'm like, okay, no problem. I don't, I didn't have dialysis that day, but I wasn't feeling that great either. And um, I have this thing where the hospital calls me quite often for blood work or x-rays or anything. And sometimes I don't want to pick up. I look at the phone and I'm like, I just can't do this right now. That's probably why you have a caretaker. Yes, it is. Um, But back then, the hospital called me, and I was staring at my phone, and I literally told myself, if this is not them calling me for a kidney, I don't want to freaking hear it. 
I don't. I don't want to deal with it today. But I picked up the phone and the coordinator on the other line said, we have a kidney for you. Wow. So they, how, how old were you? 22, 23, okay, 23 so, maybe. Yeah. So what was your like initial response? Like, are you pulling my leg or like? No, I started crying and I actually didn't have any charge in my phone. So I had to run out to my car and get my charger. Imagine that. But when I did, because I was so excited, I threw up over the balcony, went out and got my charger and continued to talk to her and asked her what I still needed to do. I didn't really care that I puked. I just was like, I'm getting a kidney, so whatever. Um, I've heard of people getting excited, but never puking over the balcony, to be honest with you. Um, But I could, I mean, I guess that gives us an idea. Like, it was probably just a release of emotion, like all that anticipation, the fear. Oh, um, yeah, absolutely. And the excitement at the same time. Yep, because they tell you you have about an hour to figure out what you want to do. And believe it or not, there are some people out there that don't accept those kidneys. I'm not one of them. I think accepting that kidney is the best thing you can do. If it prevents you from being on dialysis, if it gives you a better life, if it gives you everything that you wanted to do before that you couldn't do on dialysis. So yeah, it totally makes sense. So, so you get this call, you step outside and vomit over the balcony which yep. yeah that was very thoughtful of you <laughs> i know <laughs> <laughs> and then you returned back to the call and asked you know how do we proceed further and what happened then well i called i did try to call my mom and then i called my stepdad and i said you need to get a hold of mom because i'm getting a kidney and by now i was crying i was in tears they were happy tears so i was trying to think of the the positive instead of what could go wrong and think of everything that I could be doing now. So he had to call my mom and get her out of that meeting and they just kind of stared at her like, are you coming back? And my mom was like, my daughter's getting a kidney. I don't think I'll be back for a while. Yeah, not today, right? Right. Put me down for some personal time. (laughs) Exactly. So then I called my dad to make sure he knew. And then by then the phone calls phone calls started going out and everybody was going to rush up to the hospital like that give us a time frame like from the minute you got that call to the actual surgery time wow um from the minute i got that call we drove up to u of m and the kidney was not there it was being flown in from california i don't know much about the donor other than she was in her 50s Mm -hmm. so I didn't get the surgery until the next day, July 18th of 2008. Well, yeah, they have to fly it across yeah. the country and then, yeah, get you prepped and exactly. all that. Exactly. Wow. So that that had to have been like a relief for your entire family. Like Oh, absolutely. Like again, like for the third time. Yeah. Yeah. And some people, you know, we did put out there because obviously you need a kidney right now. Uh, we did a, a started a Facebook page, and we didn't like actively go out and say we need a donor because you had some right. other things going on. Um, but we did promote donate for life. Oh, absolutely! And you still to this day are really just right at it on social media. Yeah, I mean those are the majority of your posts. I keep I try to keep everybody updated and. 
try to post as much as I can about certain things, whether it's my dog or transplant stuff or bladder cancer stuff. Mm -hmm. But that Donate for Life, that's near and dear to you. So, yeah, that's one of your more popular posts. Absolutely. Yeah. And one could understand why, but a lot of times, you know, when I first started helping you out with your medical stuff, uh, I had to educate myself. So I, I was on groups and I was researching and... I have to say, I, I came across a lot of people that were like, okay, I can't get one or my spouse can't get one, but you can get four. I've, I've actually seen that, four transplants. Oh, I've seen a couple of those posts too. Yeah, and it's like, I don't think people understand what, what's involved in that whole process. I mean, right. in, initially you have your, your general health, right? Yep. Then matching is a whole new animal. Oh, yeah. you. It's not just your blood type that matches it's everything and anything in between that that has to match so it's not just hey i'm o positive and you're a negative we're not going to make it but um the next one comes along o positive and you just you can't jump up and down right away because there's a lot of extensive testing exactly yeah. and i think people just don't understand that right. and honestly i was one of them right i had no idea what goes into all that but it was an eye-opener and yeah. Again, like as we wrap this episode up, I'm just totally amazed at your willpower. Like, thank you. People that know me know that I'm very confident, I'm very outgoing, and probably borderline arrogant in a lot of things. <laughs> you can agree to that, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the first time that I sat in that hospital with you in the ER room, and I was just like, I was humbled like instantly. Yeah. And, and I can't, like, stress it enough. Like, what you go through and you barely flinch. It, it blows me away. I barely flinch, but the only time I do is when they miss a vein. Well, that's true. Then, then I'm even <laughs> You've ducking. You've seen that. <laughs> I'm, I'm even ducking then, right? Yep. I'm out. I'm yep. out. Yep. Check, please. I'm gone. <laughs> yep. But, yeah, no, you uh, – and that's something we'll get into uh, maybe next episode is is those IVs. Um, yeah. There's something else, let me tell you. They're, they're definitely uh, dramatic. They're a story of its own. For sure. So that will just wrap it up, and uh, we'll be getting the next episode out uh, probably this weekend, maybe middle of next week. Yep. All right. So thanks for tuning in, and with that, I'm out. Thanks, guys. Have a good week. See you next time.